there's a, a commonality between the winners, and that's the hustle. Yeah, of all of the products that I've seen, we've had literally hundreds of products come through our door, and they are the beginnings of businesses. The businesses that succeed are by the people who have a vibrant passion not to procrastinate. Procrastination is the killer of all businesses beyond anything else I've seen. Education, effort, et cetera, et cetera, all of these things that are very important are all bar none to kind of hustle and the willingness to never procrastinate. You're listening to The Business of Thought Leadership with Nikki Ballou and Michael Palmer. Welcome to another exciting episode in the podcast, The Business of Thought Leadership. I'm your co-host, Nikki Ballou. And I'm the other co-host, Michael Palmer. And boy, do we have an awesome episode lined up for you today. Our guest today is truly one of Canada's up-and-coming entrepreneurs and thought leaders. He is the founder and CEO of Maco Invent. He is a graduate of the Richard Ivey School of Business, where my brother Niels used to teach. He's done some really, really cool things in the world of entrepreneurship and serving people. I am speaking, of course, of none other than the one, the only, the legend himself, Kevin Mako. Welcome, Kevin. Hey, thanks. That is quite the intro, guys. Our pleasure. Our pleasure. So listen, we're really excited to have you on the show here. A question we like to lead off every episode with is... How did you get to be Kevin Macko? What is your backstory? What's your life story? How'd you get from where you started off, just a, a guy with some dreams, to being the success that you are today? <laughs> it's, a, it's a good question. It was a bit of an interesting start. I kind of took the, uh, the spaghetti slinger approach when I was younger. And that was, you know, basically throw, uh, throw a whole bunch of stuff at the wall as a kid and, and try and see if anything stuck. I mean, I was I was going so far as running around flyers while I was in uh, first year university to upscale neighborhoods that said that uh, we did sleep consulting um, <laughs> and trying to see if we would you know could could help people get a better rest through through some research and stuff that we had uh, on the back burner. I uh, wasn't so successful. Um, other things like uh, up north, we'd run around to uh, different cottages and offer to actually cut the weeds. Uh, they were growing in front of their dock. That was pretty successful as a, as a summer gig. Actually, I, that's one of those businesses I might have wanted to, to hang on to. It'd probably be a, probably still be a good business today. Absolutely. Um, so I, I was 16 years old at the time when I was doing that. And then this business, this business was started out of a concept of just trying to source uh, cheaper product uh, out of overseas. And uh, I started it when I was in high school, imported my first box of shirts, basically, and was trying to sling it out of the back of my car to really anybody that would buy it. And then from there, it just migrated into, went to Western, uh, went to biz school, incorporated actually when I was in third year of university, um, and then ended up studying for a term over in Hong Kong for supply chain management and continuing to you know, kind of push at the business while still doing the spaghetti slinger thing on the side, trying other things, um, trying to figure out what worked. Um, and then when I finally graduated uh, from Ivy and from Hong Kong University, I decided to turn down the 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 job offers, which at the time I was about 50k in student debt, and uh, it was 
one of the job offers was through investment banking with a with a significant signing bonus, and I it was very difficult at the time, maybe somewhat reckless to, you know, looking back. But I said, you know what, let me try the entrepreneurship route, and if this fails, I I will I will be crawling back <laughs> and uh, begging for that job back. Right on, but clearly it succeeded. So, uh, how long have you been in business? How big is the business right now? And who are your key clients? So, the when I came back, all I could I could wrangle together was, and I was I was you know going <laughs> months a month on cash flow, just hoping I could land a deal to support the next month of bills. I was working out of my condo downtown Toronto. Through that, I was able to hire my first part time industrial designer to work two days a week out of my condo doing kind of modifications to products so that we could then send them overseas to actually get produced. And I get, kept getting more and more requests to do essentially new product ideas. And it was from just regular folks uh, with an idea, inventors, ideators, creatives that really didn't have any knowledge of how to get their idea made and then to market. Um, so they heard that I was somewhat in the business. So, you know, at that point, it kind of the, the, the very small business, which was basically one point, you know, one point and a half employees at that, that time uh, migrated almost entirely over to innovation and development. So we were taking people's sketch on a napkin and turning it into manufacturable product. So we started entirely in this early stage startup space, and we were really one of the only firms worldwide that did that. Um, we were up against, you know, big engineering firms that worked with big corporate clients um, and and had, you know, large, large staff and all this sort of stuff. And we started with the ultra small, small folks. And we never left that. Even to today, probably over half of our business is just regular everyday people that have an invention idea. And then the other half is, is you know, your traditional, traditional corporate client, but we've more migrated into that. Um, so it's, yeah, it's been, been quite a ride since uh, incorporation back in 2006. How many people do you have working for you right now? What's your annual turnover? Uh, so between our two offices, we have 25 people, um, and it's mostly industrial design and engineering. Right on, right on. And, and what are your revenues at? Uh, so right now, just under three. Fantastic. That's fantastic. That's awesome. Really, really I good love, stuff. I love the spaghetti story leading to something <laughs> that's this big chunk of pasta sticking on your wall. Spaghetti slinger is quite a good term, eh, Michael? We're going to have to steal that. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll borrow it. We'll borrow it. Absolutely. Well, especially when you're young, you have nothing to, nothing to lose. Um, you know, I had no kids, no mortgage, you know, trying to Lucky get through you. school and, and survive. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was worth it at the time to... To, to take the big plunge. And I, I do a lot of guest speaking um, throughout Canada and the U.S. to uh, student entrepreneurship groups like ACE and SAGE and others. And it's it's really exciting to see. I, I would argue when I started back in 2006, there was almost no kind of official or even private or government programs that that uh, helped young entrepreneurs. Or it, was very, it was just in its infancy at the time. And over the past, you know, the, the past 10 years, it has exploded. It, it's now a better time than ever. And, and this is, you know, of, of all ages now, there's no better time than now to kind of 
dip your foot in the water of entrepreneurship and kind of take take the big plunge due to all the programs that are out there. So it's a, it's a pretty exciting time right now. And I foresee in the future, it's only going to get better and better as more and more programs are being released uh, to support and help early stage entrepreneurs. Absolutely. And certainly you're one of the pioneers that has beaten that trail and helped make that possible. So we salute to you for that as well. Thank you. Thank you. I'd really be interested, and you started to allude to it, but I'd be interested to know what avenues you've used or what avenues you've taken to build your audience and said another way, how do you get your ideal customers to know who you are and what you do? Well, in the early days, part of the spaghetti slinger model was sell before you build, which is a bit controversial. We love love uh, you, man. That's what we tell our clients all the time. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, it, and it can be scary, but um, you need to know that there's somebody out there, at least in, you know, in the early stages, at least one or two people out there that have a need for what you plan to offer and are willing to cut a check for it. And once you discover those first few, you know you're, you're, you're on to something. You know, in the early days, it was, you know, thinking about first things first, tell everybody, um, everybody in your network, friends, family, acquaintances, neighbor, whatever, just get it out there, what you're trying to do. Ask everybody if they know somebody that might be interested in, in what you're offering. Um, and then from there, try some stuff. Google AdWords is, is a great avenue. Um, you can throw a few bucks at it and just kind of test the waters to see based on certain keywords, if people will give you a call based on what you're trying to advertise. And then from there, as we were gaining traction and we were getting you know, new clients from referrals, as the business started to grow in the early stages, we took a community approach, which has been very important to us, um, not just from a business standpoint, but from you know, kind of doing something that's, that's, that's bigger than what we are as a, as a firm. We plugged fairly deeply into both universities and incubators to help in a variety of ways, either either running events with them or doing guest speaking at uh, various events or helping with prizes or awards or in-kind services, all this sort of stuff to really build, especially in Canada where we, st- where we started before we moved into the U.S., um, we really were trying to build out a market. See, for us, we've now grown to the kind of the biggest, uh, we're the biggest design firm in Canada designing consumer products as a service. And for us to kind of expand uh, here in Canada, there's really two options. One, go south, which is why we built the Austin office out uh, three years ago. Or two, grow the market as a whole. Educate people to, to, to understand that there are avenues to get your business going. And for us specifically, it's in the, you know, inventions, uh, consumer product space. That's amazing, man. I, I love what you've shared. You know, this sell before you build. Michael, isn't that like something we just drill into our clients' heads all the time, as well as people who listen to this podcast? Absolutely. The, the, awesome. key, the awesome. key thing is, Kevin, and, and, and I want to just bat this back and forth with you for a little bit. The problem a lot of people encounter is they get, they fall in love with online and online marketing and selling. So they go and they build this big shiny website and they spend tens of thousands of dollars on Facebook ads and Google AdWords and Twitter ads and LinkedIn ads. And, and they do all kinds of things to build magical digital funnels, expecting that presto, people are going to want to come buy from them where they haven't done a proof of concept. They haven't spoken to real 
live customers to find out if anybody actually gives a damn about what they're selling. And there's tons of people we've run into. There's one of our clients who shall remain nameless. She's a wonderful lady. Before she came to work with Michael and I, she had literally spent tens of thousands of dollars on these types of activities with zero results. And I mean zero, not one penny. It got to the point that her husband said to her, honey, I love you, but you're spending us into the poorhouse. I got to take your credit card away, <laughs> you know? And <laughs> I, I mean, you, you got to imagine, you know, in, in, in this day and age, that must be a tough statement for a man to have to make to his wife, right? I mean, it could get him into trouble, but he had to do it because it was, it just wasn't working. And so when she came and she started working with us, we had her stop doing all that kind of garbage. We had her get down to brass tacks, start selling. And here's the thing that happened for her that's absolutely amazing, Kevin. Last January, she barely generated $556 in income. This January, she generated 56 k Oh, nice. I know. That's just yep. from switching that around. And it sounds like that's the philosophy that you believe in and that you sell to people as well. Well, fu- funny enough, I mean, we can go back to the uh, spaghetti slinger concept, right? Don't put all your eggs in one basket. And I think that's what you guys helped her to understand. And, you know, we could look at that when you're looking at sales. There's a lot of different ways to do it. And now as we're bigger than we started, we have a, a very much a multi-channel, I guess, sales pipeline. And now we've even, something that we, we never used to do up until very recently is just cold calling. Call right. prospective businesses and uh, try and get them on the phone. It's not an easy thing to do, but at the end of the day, somebody's job at that company is to find out about services like you may have and vet them out. 100%. So, um, you know, it's not as scary as you think, and it's a volume game. And, uh, and, and it's one of those things where sometimes it will surprise you as to how effective it can be. But again, don't put all your eggs in one basket. I think what you guys were kind of alluding to, try a variety of channels and find out what works for your particular business. And it might be very different from a service-based to a product-based business. So how clear are you in terms of your ideal client? Is it just kind of like very general or do you have it specific with even demographic and psychographic attributes? That's that's been a really tough question for us to answer. We've uh, we've been asked that quite a bit. It's in the invention space, especially you know. So, so you've got your B two B clients, and those are generally you know product developers, manufacturers. We've got you know clients like Bombardier and Bose and such, and and they you know do everybody's heard of them, and and we do you know a tiny little piece of their very large uh, product development business. But for our for our kind of startup clients. It's tough to say. We have people from all different walks of life, all different ages, uh, all different backgrounds coming to us every day. And it's been very hard for us to actually try and pinpoint one particular niche that seems to, you know, far exceed the others. And, uh, you know, maybe we'll, maybe with enough data, uh, we'll be able to figure that out. But at this point in time, we're getting thousands of inquiries a year and, and we're, you know, we find slight differences here and there, but for the most part, um, ideation and innovation comes from anybody. Right on. It, it is interesting, but I, I, I don't know if you said this specifically, and I'm curious about it, and I want to understand it. You do a lot of speaking for entrepreneurial schools, and you're, you're nurturing that space. Is that because that's the area you want to make a difference in, or is it? are you nurturing a whole audience of people that will someday literally be your customer? 
Very, very much so. And, and not just our, not just my customer, but I, I've always believed fairly heavily in education. I've sat on a couple of education boards. I founded a registered charity that helps uh, underfunded individuals get into, into university. So for me, you know, educating the leaders of tomorrow just is like a really feel good kind of quasi charitable act. But at the same time, we're in the business of innovation as well. So I'm sure that further down the road, that's going to be going to be very valuable for us, but also just something that we can be tremendously proud of. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the leaders of tomorrow are are starting out younger and younger every year. Just, you know, the Sage Canada, I help with them on a number of initiatives. That's a high school program that 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 actually gets real live functioning businesses into a final p- pitch competition from kids in high school. And these businesses are good. They're clever. It's just amazing to see, and I hope that uh, I hope that trend continues to improve, and I, I'm quite certain that it will. I sit on um, uh, on an advisory panel for the Brookfield Institute, and they work very closely to try and foster entrepreneurship uh, in Canada through government programs and educating government officials on initiatives. And like it's across the board at every level. From a government perspective, there are all kinds of mandates supporting entrepreneurship, and that actually that, that flow is very similar. Uh, we work with U, uh, University of Texas, uh, which is in Austin as well. They've got a whole series of mandates to provide additional incubation space, funding, resources, et cetera, for young entrepreneurs, not just at that school, but also in the surrounding areas. So, And, and that, that's just two examples. I mean, all over the world, you're seeing incubators pop up. Uh, like crazy. We set up our, our third, it's just a small shared space um, just for, for a presence, but we set it up in the UK because London has got something like 100 times more incubators today than they did 10 years ago. Wow. So it, it's a global movement uh, of entrepreneurship. It's huge. As died in the wool capitalists, Michael and I heartily approve. Absolutely. Uh, what made you choose Texas? A uh, huge fan of huge fan of Austin. It's a booming city, amazing for for a, a number of reasons, um, and it's kind of a center point in the U.S. between our East Coast and West Coast clients. But uh, South by Southwest, amazing music uh, culture there. It's a, it's a very vibrant entrepreneurial city, uh, one of the fastest growing cities in the U.S. Just a ton of good stuff going on uh, in Austin. Amazing incubators as well. Uh, huge programs going on there, both in the private and public sectors. My understanding is it's a very pro-business environment statewide as well. I mean, the uh, even at a government level, at a state level, is yep. there very much the whole culture of Texas is it's bigger than life, uh, swashbuckling people, always going after their dreams and that sort of thing. Yeah, for sure. Well, you get, I mean, Austin is traditionally a very liberal city, but you get a lot of that uh, you know, Texas flair that's pretty fun too. So it's, it's, it's a cool place all around. And can't complain in the, in the winters, it's, it's warm there. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's, a, that's, that's, that's part of the plan. Kevin, you, so I've noticed that you've published some articles on LinkedIn, and I'd like to get your take on the technology today, spaces like Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. What are you doing today and what do you plan on doing to use those to build your following? Well, social media is uh, just a great platform all around for businesses to really help people understand, I guess, the cultural feel of a company. You'll notice if you look through our posts, we post 
things like our Friday beer clocks on there or you know, when we go out to a uh, farm for the day and this sort of stuff it's to get it's it's a cool way for for prospective clients or just people in the general community to really uh, understand the culture of macro design and event and and who we are get a little bit closer with us without actually yet walking into the office we we do all kinds of little like advertising bits across those three main media platforms but really in terms of uh, in, in terms of the future of that hard to see exactly what it's going to do for our business but again it's part of that kind of community focus that we have if you have that kind of presence online where you can start and spark those conversations or help educate individuals on different options that they have uh, then you know social media obviously is a tremendous resource for that when it's tied in conjunction with information like LinkedIn posts, which are very much connected to our blog, which we try and, you know, a couple times a week, just provide information to try and help educate the market, not even necessarily on, on what we're doing, just more things that are happening in the world around us that are related to physical products and inventions. Very cool. And so with your company of 25 people, how have they're mostly designers and people that are working in the business. Uh, how, do, do you see a trend in those people actually using what they know and getting that out to the audience, to your audience, in terms of building them up as experts? Absolutely. I mean, especially in uh, these guys are, are such pros at what they do. I mean, many many of the many of our team members have been doing just design and engineering, sitting at a computer. Uh, crushing it on CAD design for 20 plus years. Some of the younger designers ha- have an amazing educational background that you know can surprise us from t- time to time at that their you know level of creativity and, and expertise on on you know emerging technologies and special fields. So well, a lot of the articles that we actually write online, we link back and and co-author with a variety of our our designers, especially on the more technical stuff. Um, like when we're getting into you know various design uh, thinking and strategies and and essentially uh, technical variables to actually producing products, so it's you know kind of a fun informational resource for people who aren't really sure of how the process works. But on the other side as well, we try and get them more involved with the events. For instance, we've got down in at uh, both in Toronto and in uh, Austin, we run the uh, the uh, Industrial Design Guild, and we actually have our designers head up those events to try and, you know, bring just uh, other designers and such into, uh, again, kind of like a sub-community of the overall design culture in both of those cities. That's fantastic. Really, really like that. Um, I want to just circle back for a second to that whole concept of your ideal customer. In your efforts to get clearer uh, on who your best customers are, have you noticed any trends in terms of who are the people that uh, are easiest to work with, who are the people that you guys are able to make the biggest difference? Who are the people that are most profitable for you? Have you been able to kind of come up with some data around that? Yeah. Um, in terms of demographics, like, like I mentioned before, not really. But I'll, I'll tell you, there, there's a, a commonality between the winners. And I think it really comes down to one major thing, and that's the hustle. Yeah, of all of the products that I've seen, we've had literally hundreds of products come through our door and they are the beginnings of businesses. The businesses that succeed are by the people who have a vibrant passion not to procrastinate. 
Procrastination is the killer of all businesses beyond anything else I've seen. Education, effort, et cetera, et cetera, all of these things that are very important are all bar none to kind of hustle and the willingness to never procrastinate. Um, we see it all the time where, you know, a client's even paid to do a whole bunch of work with us. You know, we, we send them some materials and it's months later we hear back. Wow. And, you know, they were busy with this or the, you know, the new job uh, took some time or that reason or this reason. There's a whole bunch of things that we hear. But the reality at the end of the day is it's procrastination. The people who hustle, and this actually goes even, even beyond the quality of the idea. If somebody's a hustler and they're ready to, to put the time in and try hard and, and push and, and not be afraid and all of those good things, even if their idea is mediocre, the likelihood of success is multiple times more than somebody with a fantastic idea that's kind of just you know hoping that the dream will land on their lap. Yeah, absolutely. Hell yeah, to that. There's uh, there there's no there's no hoping to change. There's no hope in change. There's action no. to change. Action. Uh, just get it done. Just get it done. Make it happen. I know. I don't know what you're allowed to say on this show, but we have uh, uh, both internally and with our clients. And we're a big, big fan of just GSD, and that's get done. <laughs> well, we can so, we can certainly make this an explicit show if we want to. <laughs> we have to tag okay, it so as explicit. We, 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 yeah. we're, not, we're not gonna do it, but I, I get it. GSD is definitely it. One of our guests is a man named Mark Von Muser. He used to work for the biggest a transformational leader on the planet. Uh, we're not allowed to, to say his name, but you, you probably can guess who it is. He, he helped run his uh, coaching and training business, and his philosophy is hustle and grit. Hustle and grit and tenacity is what gets you going. And two, three weeks ago, we had an Olympic gold medalist, Mark McCoy, on the show. And uh, what did he say, Michael? He said, you can either have excuses or you can have results, but you can't have both. So, awesome. I yeah. love it. Yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's fantastic stuff. You know what? This has been a fantastic show. Uh, we like to end off each show by asking our featured guest, what are your top three expert action steps that you would recommend our listener follow in order to grow their dreams and take their business to the next level and establish themselves as the authority and the thought leader? All right, number one, and uh, I guess this will relate to what we just talked about, just do it today, not tomorrow, not next week, whatever it is, do it today. Number two, in order to do that, prioritize. Write down a list and hit off the, the most important things for you to succeed first. And I guess number three, in terms of being a, uh, be a thought leader, the 10,000 hour rule. Hmm. Be an expert at what you do. Don't focus on anything else. There's a couple things that, uh, that, I, that I cut out of my life because I simply don't have time for them. One of them is watching the news. Hmm. And number two is watching sports. And I know that seems crazy from a guy who plays hockey twice a week and squash a couple times a week on top of that. But for me, in order to be on the leading edge of product design and development, I need to cut out things that are awesome, but potentially less important to my future in my life and replace that with spending time on learning specifically about my industry every day. Man, I love it. That's absolutely I love fantastic. Those, man. That's, that's great. It's awesome. 
I got to say, this has been a fantastic interview. So Kevin, is there anything that you like to promote? Is there an event, uh, a book, a program? This is an opportunity for you to do that. Oh, I, we, I just came from, uh, from an entire day of filming at uh, Google's headquarters in Mountain View with uh, maybe one of the most famous people in the invention industry. Also can't say who it is, but you might be able to guess. Yeah, for sure. Um, would love to talk about that, but that's not getting released until March 8th. So uh, check out our media on uh, March 8th and March 9th on our social media pages uh, at Mako Invent. If you want to follow me personally, it's at Kev Mako. If you want to hit us up online, just uh, com. And if you have an invention idea or a product concept, Back to step number one, talk about it today, uh, not tomorrow. Awesome. Well, this uh, podcast will be released after March 8th, so you're, uh, we can absolutely send people to, uh, to your page if you give us the details. Uh, Michael will awesome. uh, chat about that in a minute. I just want to say, Kevin, this was great. Thanks for your time. Well, thank you, guys. It's uh, yeah, really great to be on your show. Very, oh. very humbling, I, especially Pleasure. as a, you know, it's a, it's a relatively small business, and it's been uh, quite a crazy ride, so to have moments like this, like they really, they really hit deep to the heart. So thank you guys. Oh, our pleasure. Cheers, man. Thanks again to meet you, Kevin. Thanks guys. Take Take care. care. Bye-bye. That wraps another episode of the Business of Thought Leadership podcast. Please go to our website, thebusinessofthoughtleadership.com. Sign up to be a person on our list. You'll get notified of all of the great episodes that uh, come out every week. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, goodbye. You've been listening to the Business of Thought Leadership with Nikki Ballou and Michael Palmer. For more information and to download the resources mentioned in this episode, please visit us at thebusinessofthoughtleadership.com. Thank you for listening. 